0: We're in Jonah. If you're not, uh, if you don't remember, but two weeks ago we're going to go through the book of Jonah for the next few weeks. And, and in, in Jonah chapter one, we we kind of looked two weeks ago. We looked at Jonah, the prophet, who of course had a word from God. He had a message, and instead of delivering that message to the intended recipients, which were the Ninevites, he disobeys God, as we read, and he goes in the opposite direction, wrong way, Jonah. Wrong way, Jonah. And we learned, I think, and I hope we were reminded if we didn't learn anyway, that we are really not any different than Jonah. We really aren't. And even though we have been given many opportunities and, 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 and words, I, I would say the message, the gospel has been given to us and, and how to live God's way in this world, we neglect oftentimes to deliver the message of the gospel that God has given us in this time that we live after Christ's resurrection. And maybe, like Jonah, it's possibly due to fear. Just simply, flat-out fear. I'm not going to tell them because I'm fearful for the reaction I will get. And I'm afraid. Or maybe it's, it's the feeling that our message of faith and the gospel is a lost cause in a world that doesn't really want to hear it in the first place and they're just enjoying their existence steeped in sin and self and all that comes with it or maybe we're not delivering the gospel because we think and we're fearful or apprehensive because our message is is harsh and it's straight lined right and we just don't want to have to deliver that like we heard last week from Pastor Dan and we've heard many times from this pulpit Jesus' words, not my words, not our words, but Jesus' words, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Exclusivity. There's one man by which we can be saved, and that's Jesus. And that comes across harsh and intolerant, and it's not accepting, and it's not loving, and it's not... Listen, I didn't say it. Those are Jesus' words. And sometimes we can get... Afraid because we think it's too, too direct, but those are the words of Jesus and it is the truth. Or maybe, 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 I don't know, but maybe we don't pass on the gospel because we just don't like someone. Now, I, I know this is a hard one to, when you hear that, the automatic response is that that's not me. I, I like all people, I get along with everybody and what. Listen we there are people we don't get along with that we don't like right around us and and it could be because they've mistreated us or maybe it's because there are cultural classes and we just don't understand we miss each other and there's just or maybe there's just bad vibes or there's a history and so on and so forth and we just don't like someone and so uh, god got someone else will come and tell them i don't like him enough to tell them about jesus I don't like the Ninevites. They've been mistreating us as as Jewish people for a long time, and I'm not going to tell them about the the, the judgment that's coming. And They might be spared because God is good, so I'm not going to tell them. might have been Jonah's thoughts. God is so good, absolutely. And even though Jonah runs away from God, God is so interested in using Jonah that he pursues him through a storm. And in the end, the pagan sailors in that ship with him, express a true devotion to God that even superseded, it blew away Jonah's devotion during his, if we could call it, runaway cruise. (laughs) God has a way of bringing us back around. I'm going to say that again. God has a way of bringing us back around. I can attest to that. He has a way to bring us back to where we need to be and where he wants us. And and it will be because he is a God who's in control and has a plan that will not be changed because of our decisions or because of what the enemy wants to do. God's plan will stand, right? We get ourselves in a jam, don't we? Like Jonah, as a result of wrong choices, contrary to what God wants for us, and we end up feeling In the pits, if you will, that we messed up, and even that, even we even feel that we're weighing over our heads. And God does this, and He's so gracious, and He chases us, and His love pursues us, it chases us down wherever we go. It's because He's so full of grace, and He provides grace through the smallest events in our lives, even to the most bizarre. And we've had, some of us have had some crazy experiences, and we could, we've lived to tell about them, right? The beautiful thing is, when we read this account, is that God's transporter of grace towards Jonah was a big fish in the sea. And inside this whale, Jonah talks to God. That's what chapter 2 is all about. And I want to point out four themes in Jonah's prayer that parallel the events of chapter 1 and also parallel our lives because we can find ourselves right there. Look at verse 17 in chapter 1 if you have your Bibles. I'm not going to read the text through. Instead, I will go through the scriptures and read them as we go along. Verse 17 in chapter 1 says in Jonah, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish, three days and three nights. There's a really important word before we move on. It's the fourth word in my New American Standard translation in verse 17, and it's the word appointed. You see, the amazing thing about this word is that The Jewish scholars even believe, and ancient scholars believe that in the language, original language here, the concept that is behind this, and the thought that is behind this, and maybe even the belief, is that God from creation, when he created the creatures in the ocean, he already planned and knew everything was going to happen, and he knew there was this great big fish that would one day swallow up Jonah and save him. That's the concept. To the Jewish scholars, this is not by accident. It is appointed. God knew. He planned it, and he set it up this way. Now, when we're living in this little picture of our world, we can't see everything before and ahead. We can't see it all, but God sees it all, and he appointed this fish to save and to swallow and to save Jonah. Now, it's really amazing because in chapter 2, it starts off when Jonah's in the, in the fish, the fish. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. We're not going to discuss that in detail today. It's for a study somewhere else or conversation somewhere else at this point. But he calls out in his distress when he's surrounded by death and he's in a place of death and he knows the end is staring him in the face. He calls out to God. He cries out to God. In my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Now, just real quick. I don't think, just a little side comment. I don't know, but I don't think that Jonah was inside that whale. And he had his little notebook and he's writing, he's writing this prayer. And now we have it sitting here. He wrote this afterwards, all right? He didn't have like this waterproof pen and paper inside the whale with all the stomach acids and everything else, and it survived, and it came out with him, and here we have it. No, he wrote it afterwards, and the indication of that is is that the way that he wrote this prayer, and it's articulated here, it sounds and echoes some of the language and tone of a lot of the Psalms. That's a good thing. He knew his prayers. He knew his Psalms. He knew he he was informed he was learned he practiced his faith in God as a Jewish man and a prophet and so when he wrote this you will find a lot of things that sound familiar with some of these prayers for rescue and deliverance from David and other psalmists who wrote it's it's really it's good right so that I think he wrote this after he was out he wrote it in in the thing I think it makes sense right but notice Jonah did not say one single word to God the whole time that he was on the boat with those sailors running away from God I will say this, little caveat, not recorded anyway. It's hard to believe he didn't say anything to God, at least even in his heart, being a prophet and knowing the one true God of Israel, that he wouldn't have said something to God, I mean, maybe at some point, even before he got thrown into the sea by the sailors at his request. But it's not recorded that he even prayed Once. But once he was thrown overboard, and now he's in the sea and the waves and there's chaos and craziness all around him, he said, oh my God, save me. I'm up to to my neck in trouble. I need you more than ever right now. Help me. You see, the first element of this prayer that I want you to notice that parallels what happened in chapter one and happens in our lives and is true for all of us is that this prayer concerns a personal crisis each one of us will be in a crisis or crises and we've been through them it's universal and we will have these crises in our lives see jonah he was bumming he was hurting in a sense he was in big trouble he's in the ocean and it's violent and it's raging and then this fish comes and swallows him i think he's in trouble I don't think he's thinking, great, I'm all good, I'm safe, and this is perfect, just as I planned. Now God will never find me because I'm inside a whale. That's not what he was thinking. He knew that he deserved to die because of his premeditated disobedience to God. He ran from God. The one, the one true God that Jonah knew controls everything and gives grace and strength. So so of course there's a crisis. He's in trouble, and it's a God-appointed and ordained crisis. God's in charge of this because God wants you, and he wants Jonah, and he's going to keep going after him. Now, before you start ripping Jonah apart, try to remember that we're just like he is. When things are going well in our life, we figure, ah, I don't have too much to pray about. Everything is going fine. But as soon as things go south, It's, oh my God, I really need you now. Help me, I'm in deep water. I can't make it without you. Save me, God. And unfortunately, we can sometimes think of God as our little good luck charm, you know, like a rabbit's foot or whatever it is. You rub the rabbit's foot and then everything else works out fine. You know, I'll just call to God when I'm in a jam and he'll help me. Listen, God will do that. He can do that and he does do that. But God is wanting a relationship with us. And that's exactly what a crisis experience does. And sometimes a crisis experience is exactly what we need for God to get our attention. I'm going to take the liberty at the risk of getting in trouble. That's always a good thing to say, right? But I had a wonderful time with a young family this this Friday night, just hanging out, getting to know them. And I could not shake. Because all I care about and all that matters for any of us is our salvation. It's all that matters. That's all listen, you've got to be in a relationship with Jesus. Our salvation is everything. God's all about that saving you. And as I'm having this conversation and 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 This story was brought that this individual is in this crisis moment, honestly. And there's just, in in her words, there's this explosion. I had an explosion at the top of the stairs in my house. And I just kind of went off ranting to God about why is all this happening? Why is my life like this? And I'm not going to fill in because I don't know the other words, but basically that's what it is. And in that cry of asking God and then saying, crying from the soul, God, help me. I need you. Are you there? Just show me. Freaking out, not following God, not being saved. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit regenerated, touched God's spirit, touched her spirit. And in that moment, the peace of God comes, salvation came. And that's what that is. You're in that crisis and then you cry out, which is really the second element in this story. When you're in a crisis, you've got to cry out to God, you've got to pray. Prayer is at the heart of what this chapter is all about. The actions of Jonah. To cry out while you're in a crisis. Sometimes we get in a crisis of our own doing, and then we try to help ourselves or try to help God when God arrests us. Maybe it's with a fish. Our own fish. Because of His grace. And we're stuck there, and we realize, God, I need you. I've been doing the wrong thing. I've been wrong way, Bob. And I thank you that you sent the right way, Whale. To take me into the right direction. And I'm calling out to you. And in your crisis, you call out to God. Do you remember in chapter one, the sailors, when they realized who Jonah was and what was going on, and that it was God, the one true God who was behind this storm and everything going on, what did they do? There's a parallel. That's why it's a parallel theme. They prayed. They didn't pray to their false little g gods, as we saw in our scripture two weeks ago. They prayed to the one true God, the Lord, capital L O R D, the Jehovah, the the, the one true God of Israel, the covenant God. They called out to him, and God heard them. God is after an ongoing relationship with you and me, one that results in obedience that brings glory to his name. That's what he wants. And when there's glory to his name and we obey, we're blessed. And things are are good here. might not be good here, but good. Even if we just, if all you do when you pray to God is tell him all your problems, that's okay. It is. Now, we should thank God. We should confess. We we learn all these things as we grow in our Christianity and our relationship with God. But we should tell, if we just spill it all out to God, he's okay with that. See, God's intention is to return Jonah back to a relationship with him, and he does it in this situation, in this crisis, and then you see this theme of when you're in a crisis, you've got to cry out to God. Some of you, even though you heard two weeks ago that you've got to stop running, you still haven't stopped. And maybe the whale or the fish, we don't know what's a whale, the fish is about to come and take you and save you because God has a plan. He loves you if you're his. And maybe you're already in, that, in, the, in the mouth of that fish right now, and you're wondering, God, what's going on? I need you. Help me. What's your plan? What's going on? Save me. When you're in that water, and then you get swallowed, and God, God saves you. But then you're in, and you're wondering, well, this is it? This looks like death to me. It's dark. I'm gonna get consumed. And where am I going after this? God knows. And God has a plan. You gotta cry out to him. Look, if I if I'm talking to Sharon and 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 she's telling me, like, and, and she's talking to me, and I'm telling her all this stuff, and then all this, she starts talking and we're having a conversation, and all she does is just lay out all her problems for 10 minutes to me, and all her struggles, and all her concerns, and all her, and just whining. She never does that, by the way, because her life is perfect, because, you know. No, I'm kidding. So so she she does that. But if, if she starts doing that, and I'm like, babe, hey, what are you talking about, man? I don't want to hear any of your problems. Like, I don't want to hear about that. Let's keep it positive, man. Like, I, I don't need that. I don't want that burden. Like, let's just move on. I don't want to hear about your problems. If you do that with God, too, God already knows anyway. Why would you do that? To God? God wants you. I want to know. She wants to know. What is the struggle? What is the problem? What is Where's what, the crisis I'm in? Share it with God. That's all that God wants. I mean, Peter says, and we repeat this oftentimes, cast all your cares upon him. Cast all your crises on him because he cares for you. That's what Peter says, and he means it. God wants you to throw all your worries on him. And then look at verse 3 and 4. Jonah describes the Lord, to the Lord what he was going through before he got swallowed by the large fish. It says, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. What Jonah's trying to say is simple. I'm overwhelmed. I'm in the Mediterranean Sea by myself in a storm. It's super deep. The waves are crashing against me. I'm in over my head, and I'm going to die. And then Jonah acknowledges that God is there, that he is there. And he says, God, I need your help. Jonah knows that it wasn't chance or circumstance, but it's God's providence. It wasn't just blind fate that caused his dilemma. He doesn't blame the sailors in his prayer. They were merely God's instruments, his means of discipline and restoration. And Jonah understands that his deliverance has been directed by the hand of God, even though he disobeyed. Oh, the reckless love of God. It keeps, it kicks down the walls and tears on every light, just keeps coming after us, pulls sin out of the way and comes at us. Now what's interesting too, I love Psalm 104. I have to reference this, because in verse 24 and 26 in Psalm 104, the psalmist says, "O Lord, how many are your works?" In wisdom, you have made them all. Your earth is full of your possessions. That's a statement that says, I'm the king, I'm the creator, I'm the ruler, it's all mine. I do with it what I want. They are all your possessions. There is the sea, great and broad, Psalm 104 says, there in which are swarms without number, animals both small and great, the ships there move along, and Leviathan... Which thou hast formed, and I love this word. Thou hast formed in the New American Standard to sport in it. He's going around doing his thing. He's playing, messing around, going all around the globe. He's this giant sea creature. And then he's also wreaking havoc because that's that's part of his sport. And he's being violent and devouring and destroying and doing whatever he Leviathan does. It's amazing. That God controls him because in ancient Near East mythology, this Leviathan or this sea monster, it means chaos. It's, it's, it's a concept that there's chaos with this creature, and yet God controls chaos. God comes into chaos and he makes order, and he lines it up with his plan and his purpose. God controls him. Have you ever been in a situation where you were in over your head? That is a rhetorical question, by the way. You could feel that way. Think about this. You could feel that way trying to raise your family. Lord, you put me in over my head. I can't handle these kids today. I feel completely overwhelmed. What's with their attitude? And then our attitude stinks too. But anyway, what's with their attitude? And you go on and on and you feel like... Listen... The best thing to do is to do what Jonah did. Tell God about it. Yes, tell God about it. Say, God, I do feel overwhelmed. Please help me. God, I do feel like I can't handle my kids. And He will help me out, God. And He will. Maybe it feels like raising your family or going to work or being in school. It feels like you're in an ocean that the waves are crashing. And all of a sudden, you feel like you're drowning. Call out to God and God will hear you. You've got to pray. There's a theme that's parallel when you're in a crisis first, as a crisis we all have, but you've got to pray. Jonah recognizes in verse 4, he says, I have been banished from your sight. And he's saying, I feel like a castaway, like you've thrown me overboard and kicked me out of the kingdom, if you will. But even though you've abandoned me, I'm a trooper, and I'm going to keep on praying. I trust you. See, Jonah recognizes that he was alienated from God. He does. He realizes that. Everything seemed lost as he sank beneath the deep. And when I read this, I feel like asking Jonah this question. Jonah, wait a second. Jonah, wait. Who abandoned who? God didn't abandon you. You abandoned him. He didn't abandon you. Get your story straight. You ran away from God. See, prayer is a key to salvation, to being heard, to being saved and rescued. In Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Though things couldn't seem worse, Jonah exercises hope in verse 4. And he says, yet I will look again to your holy temple. See, faith dares to approach God knowing that we sin and are undeserving of mercy, but you still approach. And faith drives us to keep looking again to God, the only Savior and Redeemer and Rescuer of our life. There is life and salvation when we look to God by faith like that. It's amazing, because it doesn't matter who prays. Well, it does, but it doesn't, if I could put it that way. In chapter 1, these pagan sailors call out to God sincerely, and they come to realize who the one true God is. There's a change. Same thing happens with Jonah, and he's spared and saved here. Listen, the amazing thing is, is that I don't know what those guys prayed specifically. We have a little snippet in chapter 1, the sailors. And then we have what Jonah says, and he documents that he prayed. But men, people don't pray prepared prayers in a crisis. They don't do that. I mean, if you do, I feel sorry for you because by the time you finish your prayer, you're going to be destroyed. Could be. I'm being serious. So where do we get this idea? And, and, and somehow, in our, the childlike faith we're supposed to have, and yet we mature in the Lord, we're supposed to have perfectly formulated prayers, and they've got to be scriptural and right on with the right language. And you can't pray in the New American Standard, you've got to pray in the King James Version. And you, I mean, I'm just being ridiculous, but could you get the picture. We, we formulate these prayers. All you've got to do is say, God, please help me right from here, and God hears you. When you're in a crisis, there's no time to pull out Psalm 38 or 42 or whatever psalm you want to quote to God. You're just going to say, "God, I need you, help me." You're not going to go like, "Oh, did I say that right? Did I?" You are going to cry out. When Cohen's in trouble or pressed or anybody else your kid and they just call out to you, you don't wait them to say, "Well, wait a minute. You got to formulate that the proper way. Call me, oh awesome Father Bob, you need please help me because you have awesome strength that is greater than mine." No! Come on! What's happened to us as we mature? And I'm not, I'm not suggesting we don't come God the right way and treat it cheaply and whatever. No, but we should have that childlike faith and have that relationship that is so close. We're so close. We just go to God and we just talk to Him just like this. Should be like that. It should. Doesn't mean you're not reverent. You have to be reverent, obviously, and we recognize God is holy. I get all that. Doesn't matter who prays, when you pray sincerely, God listens. God's a genuine cry to God is, is effective, whether it's from a pagan in the ship, or a rebellious prophet of God in the ocean and then in the whale, in the fish. Communicate with God and he'll respond. In verses five to six, Jonah says, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath me barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. So Jonah is saying this, I was about to drown and God saved me in the nick of time. Man, if God didn't do anything, Jonah's fate would have been fitting. Because in verse 7, he says, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. Jonah prayed. He couldn't help it. He knew he had to cry out to there. He prays to the one he knew personally, not some impersonal force that's out there. So Jonah cries out, and he knew that he was deserving of what was happening. But he knew that also knew that God was merciful and calls out to him. Amen? Oh, this fish, I think he came to a realization that this fish isn't a sign of destruction, but it was a sign or a symbol of his deliverance. Lord, you have saved me from drowning. Thank you, even though I'm in the whale or the fish. I keep saying whale because we're so used to that, fish. And so the third element of this prayer acknowledges God's deliverance or that God saves. There are times in life when you'll experience something very unpleasant, maybe very often, maybe right now. But later on, you're going to say, I'm so glad that happened to me. I'm glad I had, it's going to sound crazy, I'm glad I had that accident. I'm glad I went through everything I went through because it gave me time to think things through. It gave me time to refocus on the things that matter the most. And that's what Jonah did. He says, when my life was ebbing away, in verse 7, I remembered you, O Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah's near-death experience in the Mediterranean Sea was just what the doctor ordered, or God appointed. How about that? You know, we may sink, I'm sorry, you may sink spiritually as deep as Jonah, but God will not abandon you. Jonah was thrown out of the ship, but he wasn't thrown out of the sight and the grace of God. No way. Verses 8 and 9 say that Jonah says, Those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And Jonah knew that salvation came from God. And when he's in his crisis and he does what we're supposed to do like the pagan sailors and he did and you ought to do and you have done, cry out to God. And you know, you acknowledge that God is the only one who can save because salvation belongs to God. It is by grace. It's all started by God. It's achieved by God. And it's given to you by God, by his grace. You can't do anything. It all belongs to God. His salvation You will never save yourself and you can never save anyone else when it comes to their soul, their spirit. Only God can do that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that takes us, as we come to a close, to the fourth theme. And the fourth theme in in chapter two is revealed by Jonah when he vows to worship God, as I just read. And it accentuates his wholehearted, well, I want to be careful when I say wholehearted, but I will say that. His wholehearted devotion to God. His wholehearted devotion to God. We'll we'll see why I did that in a couple weeks. See, God's grace and that loyal love that God has for His people who cry out to Him. And again, He comes and it hints at how powerful God's grace is not just for Jonah, but the sailors, but also for each of us. People throw away any hope of salvation by creating substitutes for God. We may not think we're idolaters, yet idolatry is any worthless endeavor we take on apart from trust in God and elevate that above God and who he is. We may be bowing to idols of ambition, idols of greed, idols of comfort, idols of pleasure, idols of, yay, the Red Sox won a playoff game. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Or anything. Anything that's taking your time and elevating it above God. And then he mentions the grace that could be there is admitting, and he's admitting by saying this, that the Gentiles were savable. Jonah reenlists in God's service and he renews his commitment to his prophetic office in verse 9 with a song of thanks. Praise God. Praise God. Jonah did the worst thing. He bowed to the idol in his own life of self-will. That's what he did. And many people bow to this idol. And this idol tells them to do as they please, when they please, and how they please. And the response to devotion to self-will is running from God. Whether you realize it or not. Whether it's you're fully aware and conscious, but it is running from God. And, and what makes this story so tragic is that Jonah would rather float around in the belly of a fish and then write a psalm of praise about how God saved him than getting out and winning lost people for Christ. But wait, Pastor Bob, that's not true because he did that. Yes, he did. You'll see where I'm going. See, the church can talk, I'm sorry, can be a lot like Jonah. You and I can be a lot like Jonah. Jonah when it comes to the message that we've got to take. And the church could be a lot like Jonah because history has proven it. The church, and maybe you or me as Christians, we're interested in taking care of ourselves. You know, like, I'm all saved, I'm all good, and I'm going to keep praising God, I'm in a great place, I know I'm going to heaven. And we have a hard time imagining that God would be interested in people who are different, or people who are really bad. Like really worse than, like a lot worse than us or we were. So I don't know if God has enough grace and mercy for that, even though we know in our hearts he does. And we're sooner, even if it's not intentional, but somewhere in our mind, we're sooner wishing that God would forget about those people and find people more like ourselves. I'm hoping you're listening. hope I haven't lost you. Because it's like this. It's like we're hoping that there are people with well-behaved kids. We're hoping they're people with respectable incomes, with the same race, with the same socioeconomic status, with the exact same theology, or God forbid, I can't associate with you. And when they don't match up, they say, well, and we might say, well, they can come to church, but I'm not going to waste my time with them. I'm not going to hang out with them. I, I know that's not any of us. But I'm just saying in church history, this has happened. So, brothers and sisters, let's not let, let's not let history repeat itself. Please. Jonah says, What I have vowed, I will make good. What what did he vow? He responded to God's call and commission to go and tell the Ninevites, and he he made a commitment. Yes, I'm gonna go. But then when push came to shove, self will rose up and he says, I'm not going. I was going to go because you called me, but now I can't go. I got my reasons. I'm not going. I'm going as far away as I can. And now he wakes up. Oh, I did. I had a call. You told me to go. And I went the other way. And what I vowed, I will make good. The sad truth is is that Jonah had a change of heart about communicating with God, right? Because in the boat, we don't see him praying, but now he prays in the whale, right? In the, in the fish. But he, but he, listen, he did not have a change of heart toward the people that God loves called the Ninevites. He had a change of mind. He had a change of mind. And he speaks what I have vowed I will do. But he did not have a change of heart. And that will be evidenced later on in chapter 4 that his heart is actually not changed toward those people. His mind is. So yeah, I'll do what you want me to do, God. I realize that you saved me, I'm going to do it. And the whole prayer in chapter 2 is me, me, me. Look at what God did for me. And we should. We praise God for saving us. And we testify, we proclaim, right? But he's never looking outside of himself. God brings tough times into our lives so that we could see the, him and the world the way he sees it. So that we are compassionate and our heart is broken for those who don't know Jesus. Verse 9, I think, is the most important phrase in the entire book of Jonah. Salvation comes from the Lord, or belongs to the Lord. It's as if God were saying to Jonah, and then Jonah writes this down, salvation is mine to give. I give it to whomever I choose. I gave it to you. If I choose to save the Ninevites, that's none of your business except that you're supposed to go tell them. Salvation is possible only because I make it possible. It's not because of who you are or what you have done, but it's because of who I am, God is saying. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And hearing that, I'm going to ask the ushers, um, the ushers, I'm doing communion with the plates, we're not. I'm going to ask you to take the cups in front of your seat for communion. Because we're talking about this salvation that comes from the Lord. And when we're in our crisis moment, and when we call out to God in prayer, right? And we we wholeheartedly confess and acknowledge who God is and what He's done. And then we see and we ask and we experience God's deliverance. All we can do is worship Him, That's the result. And part of our worship is that we obey and do what God asks us to do. And we can say salvation belongs to God. And then what happens in verse 10 is that the Lord commands the fish and it vomits Jonah onto dry ground. The fish was more obedient to God than Jonah ever was. The fish did everything God told it to do. Here's my question. What do you do when you're in over your head? Maybe it's because you've disobeyed God and you feel like you're in a crisis as a result of that disobedience to God's word. Maybe you're in a crisis and you're in that place. You've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and life, the waves, everything is chaos around you and you're coming to terms with the fact that you can't control it and that it's out of control and now you need God, your creator, to deliver you. Cry out with a simple prayer of sincerity, humbly saying, help me, and God will, you'll know His salvation, and then you can worship Him. And so we realize and recognize and acknowledge that Jesus came and He died, and He saved us. When we were in our crisis of sin and lostness, drowning in our sin, God saved us by His grace when we called out to Him, and all we can do, as I said earlier, is worship. I read one last time Jonah's words in verse 9 Salvation comes from the Lord. As we go today, reread chapter 2. There's a lot there that, of course, we didn't cover, but amazing descriptions of who God is. But also, we see these themes of God's. God's appointed and ordained crisis which led Jonah to pray, which led to his salvation, and which comes as a result of sincere prayer. And in the end, we'll turn back to God and we will worship him as we ought to. Amen? God bless you. Have a great day. Let's spread the news of who Jesus is. Amen?